Greetings and welcome to the Rocket IT Business Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Hyatt, and today we're sitting down with Jeff Spence, an adventurer, entrepreneur, and private equity investor who's helped dozens of companies and teams grow and thrive. Growing up in rural Northern California, Jeff's early love for mountain climbing and decathlons was rooted in a passion for adventure and competition. And now, with over 20 years of private equity experience under his belt, it's safe to say his passions have translated to commercial success as well. So, what does it take to recognize and seize a big opportunity when it comes along? We'll address this question and more as we welcome Jeff onto the show. Jeff, welcome. Thank you very much. Good to be here. Dude, I'm so glad you're here. This is going to be a lot of fun. We yeah. had a conversation beforehand, uh, kind of talking about what we might discuss, and uh, I'm pumped. It's going to be good. Good. So I, I want to no dive idea right in. Which yeah. direction is going to oh, go? Oh, yeah. It's going to be exciting. Uh, you know, we'll, we'll uh, pop and weave uh, just to make it interesting for you. Uh, I want to start at the beginning. Where, where'd you grow up? I grew up in uh, way northern California. So most people think of northern California being San Francisco. I grew up right. five hours north of San Francisco. Really? So up closer to the Oregon border, up in the mountains. Yeah. I've heard that part of the country is beautiful. I, I Like many, San Francisco is as far north of us. <laughs> yes. And I've gone you know, up higher and come down, but I've never quite made it to that part of the country. But Yeah, to most people, it goes San Francisco, Portland, Seattle. Exactly. Those are all like yeah. within 10 minutes of each other. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, you know what? What I've heard is that part of the country is very beautiful and spent some time in Yosemite, but it's, it's pretty rural, right? I mean, oh, it? very much so. Yeah. yeah there's, there's, uh, there are very few people, far more animals than there are humans. <laughs> is there. that right? Yeah. So my understanding is, is that you got into mountain climbing when you were young yeah. and got into sports and decathlons. Yeah. Tell me a little bit about that. Well, I, I mean, where I grew up, there were, you know, the things that you did that were adventuresome were not really based on any type of, uh, you know, specific sport. It was just go out and play. Right. You know? So mountain climbing <laughs> wasn't with, you know, carabiners and, and uh, crampons and whatnot. It was just running up and down hills, right. and, you know, and uh, spending the time in rivers and whatnot. So nice. it was, uh, it's very different than what people do now. So. I don't think we've ever talked about that before, but I spent part of my childhood in Western North Carolina, same kind of thing, very yeah. rural mountains. And yeah, you know, when we were, you know, I think I was 10 when we moved up there. Yeah. And I remember thinking about what, what was that going to be like? And I sort of pictured, you know, the, the Matterhorn and, you know, the flag walking, you know, conquering the mountain. <laughs> and it's not like that at all, but we, man, we just had tons of fun going around and camping and hiking and having a good time. It was, yeah. it was a really cool part of my, my growing up. How'd you get into the decathlons? I'm going to have a tough time. No, it's okay. <laughs> it's okay. like triathlons, but harder to say. It is, because <laughs> right. there's 10 of them. Right. Exactly. exactly. Uh, it's it's, it's uh, almost three and a half times as much. So right. uh, the decathlon was really purpose-built for a guy like me that was average in 10 sports, right? So it was, <laughs> you know, I, I was... Uh, you know, I ran track and played basketball and football and baseball and everything through high school right. and then going into college. It was it was something that I was good enough at a lot of things to be successful in the decathlon. Nice. And so that was the, you know, so you go to college, do that. And um, that's where I met my wife. And it was all good nice. after that. Yeah. Where did you go to school? Uh, Chico State. Okay. Yeah. And what did you study? I studied electrical engineering and physics. I wanted yes. to work that in the conversation. So <laughs> one really tough yeah. degree wasn't enough for you. No. I uh, had no. to pursue two. Yes. Nice. So, so I, I tried to do the, the trifecta of electrical engineering, physics, and decathlon during, oh my gosh. Uh, during college. Yeah, that doesn't so. technically count as 12. It does. Yeah, it is actually so, right. 12. Yeah. 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 You're such an overachiever. <laughs> <laughs> so... Fast forward a little bit. You mm -hmm. get out of school and you've got an option of, hey, I can pursue physics, electrical engineering. I can stick with sports, go pro. Where'd you go next? What yeah. happened? You know, um, the interesting thing is, and it kind of probably, it's a nice kind of a metronome to my life, is that I never really had any desire to be an electrical engineer or a physicist. Not oh. for a moment. Okay. So. I did them because I heard they were hard, and I thought it would be interesting. <laughs> you to were see attracted if I could to do it because it was difficult. Oh yeah, and I nice. and I I was totally fine with them completely kicking my butt the entire time, which they did. Right. You know? So you know the the sports were hard, the academics were hard. You know, you never slept. It was just it was like going through med school at eighteen years old, just kind of pound your way through it. Oh, my and gosh. so, but come my senior year, everyone else is you know all people are coming to the college to do these job fairs and mm -hmm. whatnot, and. 
I had zero interest. I didn't go to a single interview. I didn't really? I didn't talk to anybody about being an engineer or a physicist. I didn't even know what they do. I still don't <laughs> even know what they do. But I just I thought, okay, great. I've graduated. I won. We're not gonna talk or you can edit out any GPA discussions right. in here. So well, that's right. all yeah, but I, I got out, I have the diplomas on my wall. And, right. That's the important part. Exactly. Right? <laughs> and and I knew that I didn't want to do that. And I knew that I really didn't want a real job. And so I just started just figuring out something else to do. I mean, it was it was the next the next adventure was up now. Those things were over. I'd climbed that mountain and then it was what's next? Where wow. do I go? So yeah. where'd you start? So I um, started really my own software company with a friend of mine. Uh, right really? Out of, yeah. So right out of the gate, we just uh, graduated and started a company and and just started doing odd jobs and you know putting things together. And then I came out uh, to Georgia to turn around a, a software company out here and. Oh, wait a second. Yeah. So you're 22, 24, somewhere in that range and decided to start a software company and then you're going to turn one around? Yeah. I mean, that's, I feel like we missed out on some detail. No, you've missed out out on nothing. Nothing whatsoever. (laughs) Really? (laughs) Yeah. So how did the, the, what happened with the software company? Did, was it a start and end or start and sell? Or? Uh, we, we kept running that for, for a good amount of time, my partner and I, and we, we ran that. And then we moved out to Georgia and ran it here and then oh, we were wow. helping drive the other one. And uh, uh, we uh, had a number of fits and starts like everybody does. And right. we um, ended up, you know, transitioning that company into something else. And just, the whole, you know, it was it was the absolute perfect Thing for a you know a guy in his young early twenties right. to, to go and do and it's been it's been fantastic. That's that's yeah. pretty awesome. Yeah. So you know I don't I don't know your age, but I would guess we're not too terribly far apart. Yes, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. I, I was close. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but that was probably in the uh, late eighties. It was uh, early. It was uh, no, that was like probably early nineties, mid nineties. Young guy. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Very cool. That was a really yeah. cool time to be. I mean, you know, oh, was, I remember yeah. those days. Yeah, you know, if you were uh, in technology, then yeah. uh, going and blowing. Yeah, That's exactly. Right. Yeah, cool. So you got to Georgia and yeah. you're continuing to build on this business, transitioning this other one. Mm-hmm. Uh, Looks like you flipped into something else. How did you end up in private equity? How did that work? Again, like most, like I'm kind of the, the Forrest Gump of the of the business <laughs> world, and, and so you just kind of dumb into things. But you know. Doing, I don't think you've done much. Oh man, I've dumped in everything in my life, Matt. So, you know, going through a number of transactions with these companies, helping them build up their, help them build the organizations and sell them, and you come to the realization that, you know, you got paid a little and they got paid a lot Ah, for doing it. And so the next one you come in, you're going, well, shoot, don't pay me, Mm. right? I want to build this thing up and, and sell it and 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 make make the money that you did. So it wasn't some refined focus on private equity. I don't even know what that meant for probably a decade afterwards. Really? I had no clue. I mean, private equity. I know is that so no one knows about your equity? Is right. that what private equity right. is? You know, so, uh, uh, but I knew that if I owned this, then I would make money. And right. so I just started doing that. And so I've, you know, I've, I've really just abhorred the whole concept of getting a paycheck mm-hmm. and just went straight into trying to just own the business. I mean, not too dissimilar from you, actually. Yeah. Well, uh, I guess so. When uh, you know, there there is a difference in volume. Uh, you know, <laughs> let's count the number of businesses that uh, that I've started. One, <laughs> <laughs> and then you know, and I, I have the feeling that's quite a bit more than that for you and a the few, businesses you've yeah, been involved in. Sure. So, was there a particular? I know you said you sort of accidentally found your way into some of these things, but was was there an early focus on IT or technology? Was that a passion of yours, or was that just that was the opportunity that presented itself first? Um, you know, the, the the passion for me has never come from the technology or from running a business. It was really the passions always come from was there some problem to solve? Were you mm-hmm. trying to accomplish something that no one else had done before? Mm-hmm. And that was so you can get into a business that's got a lot more zeros on the end of it, or they've got a far better sales channel or it's more heavily funded and all those things. Yawn, yawn. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I didn't have any interest in those. Really? It was, can this thing be something special? Can it solve some big problems? Is it doing something that you can get passionate about? Mm-hmm. You know, cause I know that, you know, I do not have a long attention span. I mean, it's really painfully short. And so regardless of all the other, you know, accoutrements to this thing, it was not going to keep me interested unless it was something that was meaningful and I could drive. And so when you take that as your filter, now it's no longer 
industry focused or anything else. It could be horticulture and finance and software and, you know, whatever, right. anything, anything applies. Huh. How, how do you find deals or how do people find you? I, and, and I'm sure that's changed yeah. over the years. I'm sure oh, early on yeah. it was, you know, you're looking for everything, but I, I got to think yeah. now uh, you've got some experience and wisdom under your belt. Do deals find you? How does that work? Yeah. So, so deals find me now. Yeah. I mean, uh, back then I remember just out there just looking for things to get into and, mm-hmm. and looking for opportunities and just talking to everybody I possibly could. And you blink and you realize now I'm an old man and the deals are flowing <laughs> my way. Um, but you know, the, you know, I don't remember making a conscious decision at any time to shift that. It mm-hmm. just, you know, pretty much you know, slowly but surely you start getting more and more deals coming, coming to you and you're able to filter through them and, and ideally hand them off to people who can really help. Right. You know, so you're probably, you're probably getting involved in, you know, less than 1% of the deals you see probably really probably, wow. uh, you know, maybe five in a thousand, maybe you, wow. you probably, probably would actually get involved in, mm-hmm. but you know, the, the goal for many of those things are to take a look at the deal. I'm not a good, not a good partner for it, but handing it off to somebody who I think could actually be a good resource. For well, and even that's adding value along the way. So I'm sure yeah. people respect that yeah. and maybe come to you again Yeah, sure. with a different Absolutely. idea later yeah. because, oh yeah, Jeff helped me with this last time. Yeah. Well, that's pretty cool. So one thing that you've told me before, I've heard you say, I can't remember if you were talking directly to me or if I was just listening at the conversation. But, <laughs> You're but always yeah, listening you to my said, conversation. Right, yeah, I think you said something about, you know, you were attracted to a deal, I th- I'm trying to use your words, with a little hair on it. Yeah. And I'm thinking about what you've just shared with us about, you know, pursuing a field of study, be- not because it was super interesting to you, but because it seemed difficult. Yeah. It seemed like a challenge. And so they start to pick up on a little bit of a theme there. Is this, you know, this is, you're, you're a contrarian thinker. You know, you're a person that pursues something because of the challenge. That seems to be yeah. the attraction. So how, how do you, how do you manage that? How do you know what to stay away from? If you're, if you're only maybe getting involved in five deals out mm-hmm. of every thousand. Yeah. Well, are, is that because those are the hardest of the thousand or what's your filter? How do you, how do you do that? Yeah, it's interesting. And I love, I've been, I've been called a contrarian thinker for a long time and it's hilarious because it's actually, it's a really nice word to like cover over some mental illness that I've got. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, it's like, I'm sorry, that's not, that's not functional, but hey, contrarian, right. that sounds, that sounds like a good thing. Um, I meant it in the best positive I should, way. <laughs> you always do, man. Uh, you know, it's, I think the bigger filters for me are one, um, does it fire me up? Right. Mm-hmm. And that's typically going to be the challenge aspect of it. I love, mm-hmm. I love if it's going to be something that's worth getting up in the morning and, and going after it, then great. If I know I can sleep until noon and still get it done, then it's not of interest to me. Mm-hmm. That's so that, so I don't, I won't do those. Two is, and it's a bigger filter and it's a harder filter because it's an ego thing is, am I the right guy? You know, a lot of people don't do that. Mm-hmm. You know, they'll go and take a job when they're not the best guy for the job mm-hmm. or they'll go and try to, you know, try to do something that there's somebody else standing right next to them that's better for that opportunity. Right. And, you know, so that's the one that's taken me the longest to really wrap my arms around. I'll look at deals right now and go, oh, man, that's fantastic. Mm-hmm. That completely fires me up. Talk to Matt. Mm-hmm. He's he's the guy you need. Right. He's the one that could really make that thing go. And that's. That is, I'd love to say that came easily. It did not. It still doesn't come easy. Right. I still find myself going, oh man, I'm the wrong dude for this. Right? Right. There's, there's better guys and I'll, I'll back out and make introductions or, or whatnot and make sure, make sure it gets going. Well, but those are probably a lot of humility filters. to do that. Right. I mean, yeah. even, even in the job market, you see all the time advice to, uh, you know, not uh, falsify a resume, uh, but to, you know, put it, put your very best foot yeah. forward. And sometimes that comes across as maybe an inflated Right. view of what yeah. somebody's capable of. And so yeah. it, it takes a certain middle amount of humility to be able to say, you know, I love this. I might yeah. even be passionate about it, but you need to talk to the guy down the street. But you also see, and I'm sure you've seen it in your, your line of business too, is that if I go back to somebody say a year later and I say, Hey, listen, I want to pull back out of this and bring somebody else in that's better than me. It's the, it's like breaking up, you know, and you're telling me, no, it's not you, it's me. Right? And, <laughs> and the first thing I'm thinking is, so what's wrong with the business? Um, is the business bad? Or what did we do wrong? Or you've had something else going on that's more interesting to you. And the reality is, no, no, there's, there's, a, there's a better person for your business mm-hmm. than me. Right? That's, and so that's, 
probably been the theme more for the last five years or so, maybe 10 years is I continually look for people who can replace me in that, in that role or mm-hmm. in that business, because I know, you know, the last count, um, like there was, I think I counted six and a half billion people in this world, right? Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm sure <laughs> there are better people at everything that I'm doing than me. <laughs> right. And so if I can find that person and they're a, an effective resource and they're passionate about it, then they should be strapped to that business and not me. Mm-hmm. And so, and it's okay. I know that I'm, I'm going to see tons of things and I'll come back to those things and, mm-hmm. and uh, it's all good. So how does it work when you're involved in a, in a business? Uh, say, hey, uh, here's a business I'm going to get involved in. I'm going to invest in it. Does that always mean that you're actively a participant in the business? Or is it sometimes I'm going to invest, but you do you and get back to me and let me know if it worked out? Yeah. Is is it always active? No, it's it's not. Um, uh, You know, I... I look at things in different investment buckets and costs of capital. And so mm-hmm. I look at it and think if there's my, my low risk money, I'm going to hand to somebody else who's got better skills and better capability sets mm-hmm. than I do. Right. So you all invest into businesses and have those things run. Fantastic. Then on my, my higher risk money, because I'm higher risk mm-hmm. is will go behind me going in and, and trying to drive these businesses. Mm-hmm. You know, what I've, it's actually comforting though to know that now because I've surrounded myself with so many great people that there's some guy or some girl or whoever it might be out there that I know is going to be better. So as I'm going forward, fewer and fewer of these deals am I running? Mm. And it's not because I've somehow become, you know, I'm no, I'm above that. I'm no longer running that company. Right. No, no, there's just, there's just smarter people Mm. to execute on than Mm. I am. So uh, that's, and that's a, it's a comforting thing and allows me to, to participate in a, a smaller piece of a lot, lot, you know, uh, a greater number of businesses and not screw things up. Right. One of the things I love about just this thought process of building any business that's going to have staying power is that by design, it has to be able to support people coming and going right at all levels, including the very top. You know, I think Disney, I think it was yeah. in the news this morning, just, yeah, just this had morning. A, a, you know, change of, of CEO and, Disney will continue. You know, I have no doubt, right? Yeah, yeah. That they've built that into their business model that they they can withstand uh, even at the very top a, a change in leadership. But when you're intentional about building a business, you realize you have to bring other people in. It's not it's oh, not yeah. an option. No, uh, it's, it's not an it's, option. It's critical <laughs> exactly. to do that. And it, yeah. particularly if you're going to be involved in multiple businesses, mm-hmm. you got to be able to take some off the table as you're bringing new ones on. So. How does how does that work? Are you involved in businesses for long periods of time, short periods of time, or it just depends on the on the deal? Just it just depends on the deal. And mm-hmm. again, if it if it fires me up and you know I there's there's a passion for it, I'll mm-hmm. be involved as long as I'm useful. Mm-hmm. Right. And that's you know, so there's a lot of times that usefulness is very short and that's <laughs> and that's okay. Again, a little uh you know, a little humbling sometimes, right. like I'm no longer of <laughs> value here, but that's, that's okay. Right. But you know, you bring up a good point that, you know, businesses are definitely made up of people, mm-hmm. but they're not made up of this person. Right? There's, right. there's a, there's a big difference. You understand that it's the human resources that are going to drive this thing, but you also understand that people are going to have different interests. They're going to have different risk levels. The businesses are, are moving, living beasts. You know, mm-hmm. when the first, when they first started out, there was a certain profile to that business. And then it got going bigger and bigger and bigger. It's a different profile. It's going to take different people. Mm. And it's a, it's difficult for people to make that leap unless they've, unless they've visualized it early on to look around and say, okay, we're a small company. We have 10 people and understand statistically seven of these people are not going to be here Mm. two years from now, three years from now. Right. And it's not because things went wrong in many cases because things went right. Mm. Right. So I, I was able to develop skill sets in my, in my team it allowed them to go get better jobs somewhere, ones where they could exercise their skills at a greater degree than were available here in this company. And so those things are just going to happen, and that's fantastic. It's a wonderful thing. But if it sneaks up on you, you're thinking, oh, no, right. I'm losing this person. Right? Right. Instead of thinking, listen, I'm excited that these people are, are here right now, mm-hmm. and they're an enormous impact of this business, which is fantastic. And if I create a great mm-hmm. culture, I'll be able to attract other people that are going to come in that are right for the business. And then it's not so much an affront to you anymore. It's, it's yeah. a good, it's a good common, uh, natural way of looking at your companies. Yeah, I love it. And it just underscores the importance of 
developing processes, developing a, a culture that can withstand a change in, in the lineup yeah. of the team. Is, do you find that's translatable? If, if you're working in, in one business or five mm-hmm. and you've developed processes or certain values or culture, do those translate to other businesses too? Yeah, I think um, I wouldn't use the word process as much unless you're thinking thought process. Mm-hmm. So I think um, you know, the procedures inside of a business are going to be are going to be governed by a lot of external and internal factors, customer types, and right. and you know, are, am I an engineering company? Am I a consulting company? Am I a processing company? All those things are very different. But you know, I think it's going to come down to most of the time. It's going to come down to you know, what do I expect of this company? Meaning culturally. Those things I think are franchisable across a lot of different companies. Mm-hmm. I think the expectations of and the commu- how you communicate with employees is franchisable across a lot of a lot of companies. I also think that doing it in, improperly and and you know, ineffectively <laughs> is also right. franchisable, right. which means you see you know, and I, I I can look back and say, man, I made that same exact mistake at five different companies. Oh, right. right. So oh. so you're the more things you're involved in, the better off. Or I think not better off the more acutely aware you are of those elements because you know they're impacting a lot of companies all at once. It's mm-hmm. not just impacting this thing that you can control right in front of you. You're making decisions that are now going to be, you know, are going to now be, you know, taken and put into process somewhere right. else. It's going to screw things up, which I've done a lot of. Them. <laughs> well, you know, that's how wisdom happens, right? <laughs> I've been, I got lots of wisdom. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so uh, let's talk a little bit about uh, kind of the day in the life mm-hmm. of, a private equity investor. Well, you and I had a conversation two or three years ago now about uh, you know, building our organizations such that the leader of the business doesn't have to be there and a hundred percent on every minute of every yeah. day. Yeah. And I think you've taken that to an extreme because you are working uh, in frequently in a leadership capacity in multiple businesses at the same time. And not only that, but many times these businesses are not, they're, they're geographically dispersed, right? There might be one here and one in another country, one on the West Coast. How, oh, do, yeah. you, how do you do that? Uh, yeah. what, is there a code uh, for, for how, <laughs> you know, how, how yeah. do you get to the point where you can come in and be available for small amounts of time yet still have the impact that you need to have as a critical leader in an organization? Yeah, I, you know, there, there are three things that are critical that you have to do in order to be effective doing that. And those three are really hard and nobody knows what they are. <laughs> Great. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> so, I mean, the, you know, everyone has their theory on how to do it. Mine has, I shouldn't say it's always been, but I've always kind of tended more towards this. And I think I've been more aggressively focused on this over time is I don't like to delegate at all. Really? Yeah. And that's a surprise. Yeah. But here's, here's, here's the reason why. If I'm delegating to you, that means that it's, it's mine to delegate, mm. right? So it's, it's my task, it's my role, it's my job, and I'm now delegating this out. And I've realized that if I'm delegating it to you, you never really take it as yours, mm. right? So to me, it's a, it's a complete session. I mean, you're just you're handing it to somebody and saying, you own this. You can right. delegate it if you want to. I don't advise it. I'd give it right. to somebody else, but it's yours. Mm. And it is a, a buck naked feeling of mm. I don't control what's going on anymore. Mm. But it's also one and people and people couch it with potential risk. What if this guy screws this up? Or what if she steals my money? Or what if this person runs yeah. this, this? But it's just, it's just risk. It doesn't, it doesn't really matter. But if you're by not doing that, you're risking so much more. You really are. I don't think there's so few people, and whether it's in business or life or whatnot, so few people calculate the cost of being safe. Mm. And the safer I try to be, the less I accomplish. The safer I try mm. to be, the less impact in the world we're going to have. The, you know, the less the more I try to control what's going on around me, I'm really dumbing everything down, and everything's kind of beige and it's vanilla, and the volume's on four, and you know, we just. You kind of live in this this life, and it looks good because I think we're trained to think that that's what we should, how we should be living our lives. But the reality is, is I, I push things out to the edges, and they're owned. You own these things, run these things. Right? If it doesn't go well, then we'll we'll you know we'll sum this thing up, and we'll figure out next time we'll make a decision maybe a little differently. And the decision is not going to be based on 
on anger or based on, you know, retribution. It's going to be based on, you mentioned the word earlier, wisdom. You yep. go back and go, eh, it didn't work out so <laughs> well, right? But all of the greatest things that have happened in my life, all of the greatest successes business-wise or whatnot, were done through somebody else's hands, mm. right? It was their creativity. It was their ownership. And almost always, and I know you're a business owner yourself, how many times have you been just wildly surprised by people around you who have done things that you would have advised them mm. probably, you know, very loudly. You would advise <laughs> them not to do it that way, right? right? Because we're all so smart. Mm-hmm. And, and then they do it a certain way and you go, holy cow, that's the smartest thing I've ever seen in my life, you know? And we take credit for it. No, we don't. But, uh, you know, so for me, you know, managing allows me to manage many, many more things and be involved in a lot of things. I shouldn't even use the word manage. I would say participate. It allows me to participate in a lot of things. And it also gives me, and this is is the sneaky truth, it gives me the ability to watch really smart people who have yet to go do this on their own somewhere else, watch them do things that I learn from. Mm-hmm. So I get smarter and smarter as we go. They're making their own decisions. Even if they make a decision that doesn't work out well, oftentimes 70% of that decision was right. Right. right? 30% was wrong. And I can go back and I say, ah, it was mm-hmm. in the execution. It's mm-hmm. because of X, Y, and Z. Right. We didn't secure this amount of capital, didn't do whatever. But I learned from the 70% that, you know, the, the, the direction that they chose to go right. down. And so... I look back and I think of all this, again, this wisdom you're talking about. And much of that has been me just sitting here, just watching extraordinary people do cool things. And, and I just, mm-hmm. not, I, I love that. I love that approach. That is so awesome. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm going to say something, Jeff, and I'm going to say it in the nicest possible way. You are a contrarian. <laughs> you know, what you just said there, I've never heard anybody else say it the way that you did. Not, I want to go back to it because I want to make sure that I heard it and that, that our that our listeners heard it too. You hear all the time about people managing risk. I mean, there are there's you know billions of dollars in the risk management oh, industry. Yeah. And what you said was really flipping that on its ear. It's almost like I'm not sure what the right word is, uh, complacency management. Uh, yeah. okay, here are all the things that you know, let's take a startup as an example. And mm-hmm. I remember early on in the early days of, of Rocket IT when, you know, I used to joke that it was a team of three, me, myself, and I, right? <laughs> that there was a certain amount of fear about hiring that first person and giving them some real responsibility that used to be within my realm of control. Yeah. And whether it was, uh, hey, uh, sales and marketing or going out and doing the technical work or the bookkeeping, there, there was... I mean, that's a saying even of, uh, if you want something done right, do it yourself, do it yourself. right? Yeah, and you're, yeah, yeah, and exactly. you're totally flipping that on its ear and yeah. say, okay, if I want something done extremely well, I've got to find the best person to do that mm-hmm. and, and push that risk out, out to them, which is a, you know, takes a lot of confidence yeah. and trust, but then to be okay with the outcome, no matter how it looks, that's really cool. Yeah. And I think if you were to rephrase, you know, the, the common, the common statement is again, you want something done right, do it yourself. And I think right. the, the, the actual, what they really mean is if you, if you want something done exactly like you want it, mm. do it yourself. Mm. And, you know, but it's also assuming that I've got some great vision or some great view of the future that is perfect. And I don't, right? right? So if I do want it done exactly like I want it, like my peanut butter and jelly sandwich with, <laughs> you know, with right. my Cheetos on it right now, right. oh, I can stack them perfectly. On right. it. I think with a whole bag of Cheetos <laughs> on one sandwich is fantastic. I'll do it myself because no one can do it like I can. But in, a, in another <laughs> setting, to me, it's, I want to know what that person, you know, I'll, we'll say, listen, we're going this direction. Right? I'm going from here to California. Fantastic. There's a, there's a million routes. Right. So if I want it done like I want it, I'm going to drive. I'm going to take a turn here, turn there, turn there. But guess what? Everybody else, if I, as long as I define California, they're all getting there. Mm -hmm. Right. And I guarantee you in a room of 10 people, nine of them are probably going to get there sooner and cost more cost effectively than I would have. Yeah. And so it's okay to get in the back seat. Right. And every once in a while you might ask, are you still going to California? Yep. (laughs) We're going to California. Yeah. (laughs) And that's, and that's okay. Nice. But it's, uh, you know, I think the, the management of, when you mentioned kind of, you know, managing complacency, mm. nothing ever exceptional has happened in the middle of the bell curve. It just mm. hasn't. It's right. never, it's not worth even being involved in. I mean, here's, a, you know, you take a, 
and you could look up these look at these numbers and you'd say, would you rather be the median salary earner because you're such an extraordinary athlete? You were drafted into the NFL, the NBA, Major League Baseball, and National and National Hockey League, and you were good in all of those. You're so good in all of those. You're right in the middle. Or would you rather be a starting quarterback or starting left left tackle or right. start or the one of the best pitchers? You know, just that one role. And by far and away, the greatest salary earners will be one of the top pitchers in the Major League Baseball or starting quarterback or starting cornerback or whatever it might be. Yeah. And so we know that in the middle of that bell curve, no matter how broad you try to apply yourself, there's nothing really extraordinary is going to happen there. So why do we force ourselves and try to live our lives so we never leave the middle of that bell curve? And it just doesn't make any sense to me. And it never has. Yeah. It's never, it's never, been, never been of interest to me. And so, you know, you, you look at, you know, almost everything that's been, been great, you know, um, you know, Marie Curie, you know, she's, she had to mess around with radioactive elements and ended up dying from it. Right. But look what we have right now, right? We got cool <laughs> x-rays and we get all these things coming from it. So most things we've seen in our life, I would say all things that matter have come from things that were really just pushing the envelope. Hmm. You know, you say that and it made me think of something, the bell curve, and you think about just one aspect of the bell curve and its application is uh, in personal finance. Mm-hmm. And you look at, uh, you know, what's the average family income or what's the average level of wealth yeah. in, in, the, in the U.S. or something like that. And then you look at the news websites and the media and so forth and who are they catering to. Well, you know, I was talking about the uh, Disney uh, yeah. change in hands this morning of the CEO, the turnover of the CEO. I read about that on a website. That website is designed to capture as many eyeballs as possible, mm-hmm. uh, which means that by definition that they are targeting exactly the center of the bell curve. Absolutely. And so if you're looking for an outlier in performance, financial performance, that's probably the last place you want to go because place you're going to get the middle of the road result. Ever go. Exactly. <laughs> you're, that's exactly yeah. right. And that's cool. the last, huh. place, last place you want to look at. And right. if you take... I mean, you've heard of the Pareto principle, the 80-20 yeah, right, rule, right. and the concept of it being, you know, that 20% of your work is going to generate 80% of your of your production, mm-hmm. right? And and it's, you know, you can apply this, and it's going to be 73, 27, or whatever the number might be. It's going to move all over the place. But the reality is, is that, you know, that works. And if we run with 80-20, you say, okay, I'm going to do these activities, created 80% of my work. And what if you got rid of the 80% of the activities you were doing that created 20% of your work? Mm-hmm. And most people say, okay, I could probably do that. That's great. So now take that 20% and blow it up. That's all I'm doing now. Mm-hmm. Well, Pareto, Pareto principle still applies. So right. 20% of my 20, 4%, is going to create 80% of my, of my 80, 64% of my productivity, which means that I could really be focused on 4%, 4% of what I'm doing right now, and just mm-hmm. focus on that 4%. Mm-hmm. And now I'm pushed all the way out there, of, you know, a full standard deviation away from the mean amount. I'm out, I'm out of that, that, you know, that center, that bell curve you're talking about right. and everything. And I've done 4% of work, you know, and, and that's the kind of stuff that excites me. Mm-hmm. And now if you take an organization and you allow everybody to operate in their 4% as an example, you have an extraordinary group. Yeah. You really, you really do. Now, if I try to do everything and I'm bringing this back to talk about, I'm right. going to do it right, do it yourself. If I try to do everything, either, I have to have defied this Pareto principle. I'm the only guy on the planet that has, or I'm dooming myself mm. to be miserably inefficient in 96% of the things that I'm that I'm doing, and wow. it's just it just doesn't make sense. And yet we're you know, most people just spend their life banging away. Right. You know, they're just they're just hitting the top of that anvil with their hammer. Just you know, just yeah. this is this is what I'm doing. Well, and 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 be, probably because it feels safe. It does. To your point earlier. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it does. That's fascinating. Yeah. Well, actually, one of the questions I wanted to ask you about was, so, you know, back to uh, at any one time you're involved in and, and helping to lead multiple organizations. Mm-hmm. And uh, because of the way that you operate, you've got a limited amount of time that you're able to spend with each organization, and you want that to be the highest impact time possible, right? Yeah. So how? Are, are there tips for how to do that? Or is there a thought process for how to do that? Uh, uh, when you're working with five CEOs in different parts of the world, what's the mechanics of how do you do that? Is it a phone call? Is it a visit? Is, it, is there a weekly cadence or a monthly cadence? 
or does is yeah, all great, over the board. That's a great, and it's and it's evolved certainly over, right. over the time. Which I assume now, you know, if this is going to evolve from now forward, right. if I'm if I feel so smart today compared you, to what I was twenty years ago, exactly, <laughs> I'm gonna look back to where I am now. And go, holy cow! He was, mm-hmm. he's not even a half wit. He's like an eighth wit. <laughs> but um, the you, <laughs> most most distributed management organizations or processes are involve around you know I'm looking for financial results. I'm doing this, doing that, and all this stuff. And the reality is that those things are commodities, right? Mm-hmm. Those are those those are things that can be sent to accountants, and those are things whatever. That that's all great. And what's been good about um, the opportunities that I've had is they forced me to rethink these things because literally I might have. I might have something going on in, in Hong Kong, Dubai, Cape Town, you know, Auckland, New York. Nothing in Atlanta. Georgia. And exactly, yeah, <laughs> right. and rarely in Atlanta. <laughs> right. And I have all those at the same time. And so, you know, really trying to micromanage or getting into those things is a complete waste of time. And like I mentioned before, I am completely just disinterested in micromanaging. And so what I've, I've realized is that um, there are small handful of questions, and those always evolve, but... If I can just ask a handful of questions and not trying to pin them down, but trying to discover how I might be able to help them. Sometimes the question is, how can I help you? Right. That's yeah, as simple sure. as yeah. that, right? That's, you know, it's very simple. I mean, it's, right. it's you know, it's, um, I realize that trying to drag information out of them, they're going to answer the questions that I've asked them. Mm-hmm. But if I can ask much more broad and open-ended questions about things, it allows me to think about, okay, here's some other challenges. So, what are the challenges you having? You know, what are the risks mm-hmm. that you see in the future? You know, where do you think I could add, add the most value? You know, and a lot of times it's you can't. Right, <laughs> Jeff, please go Get away. away. <laughs> yeah, please go away. Yeah, <laughs> um, but you know, those are ones. If I really, really want to be able to go away, understanding what's going on in a business, then it's a small handful of questions. Period, and I'm gone. Mm-hmm. And nice part about that, you know, I could do it over the phone. I could do it over. Right. I could over Skype or WhatsApp, whatever. Mm-hmm. Now, I, I do like looking them in the eyes when I'm asking the questions because I want to sure. know if they're rubbing their temples, if they're, <laughs> you know, if they've, you know, lost right. 20 pounds, they saw them last time. There's right. a lot of you know, stress factors you can't mm-hmm. get when they're asking these questions, you know, via correspondence. But, um, but that's, the, that's the greatest thing. I mean, that's the easiest, you know, easiest way of going about this thing yeah. is, just, is just asking questions and allowing them to kind of explain in general terms you know, how they feel things are going, what resources they need, and if and how I can be of value to them. I think that's so good. And I think that's something, unfortunately, a lot of leaders and rising leaders miss is, well, you just have the word manager. You know, that implies oh, uh, that yeah. I will be managing yeah. this person and this person's activities and and so forth. And that can come across very much as, uh, okay, it's my job to challenge this person and to find out what they're doing wrong. Right. Exactly. But the, the truth is, is if we've done a good job of hiring or uh, bringing people into our uh, organizations in our life that we trust and we brought them here for yeah. a reason because we think they can add value. Really, it should be a posture usually of support. Yeah. Right. Of All right. I trust you. I believe in you. Uh, I'm excited about what you're doing. And my job is to come in and help, yeah. uh, you know, help remove barriers, um, uh, help to uh, add value, maybe change the way of thinking, that kind of thing. I love that approach. Yeah. yeah. And, and for and sometimes it can be taken disingenuously because, mm-hmm. you know, it just seems like it's, it's, a, it's a shtick. Like I'm just right. using this as a way to get it. But I think most of the people that I work with understand that they're smarter than I am. <laughs> <laughs> so they do take it genu- very genuinely. They go, okay, right. he really is just trying to figure out what's going on. And, is that and part of the visual real, thing? Or? It might be. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it is going to go, all right. It's, it's just, yeah. So all, nothing can help me. all kidding aside, I want to point yeah. out something else that you said that I think is so important is that uh, communication, that there's a uh, heightened uh, uh effectiveness of communication when it happens face-to-face. Yes, definitely. Uh, because we can see each other's expressions, uh, yeah. body language, we can probably sense uh, mm-hmm. whether someone is under stress or happy or sad or, or whatever. That happens so much easier and better when we're seeing each other face-to-face. And so I often tell my team, particularly if they need to bring challenge to someone, we're going out to a customer site and saying, hey, look, yeah. you're really going to need to make a, an upgrade on your security system here. That's challenge, right? That's what's bringing challenge to yeah. one of our customers. That's going to go over a lot better 
if we can be in the same room together. Oh, definitely. And if that's not possible, definitely. then the Skype, the WhatsApp, yeah. you know, that kind of thing would probably be the next choice. But the last thing we want to do is text them and say, hey, <laughs> yeah. uh, you're going to have to spend exactly. 10 grand on upgrading your security yeah. system. Yeah. Right, right. Uh, it is. And I, I think that one of the advantages, again, that I've had over a lot of people is I've done a significant amount of my business internationally. Mm. And so what's happened is when you're doing this work, you realize that there's such a cultural difference that you can't assume, like like we do here. Here in the U.S., we think everybody speaks English. Everybody basically has the same, in air quotes, culture. Mm-hmm. So I can communicate very homogeneously across the across the entire body of people, right? And to the most part, it just still doesn't work, right? It's, <laughs> it's just not an effective way of doing because people right. people um, they they think differently, they receive information differently, they're they're emotionally very different, and when you're in international markets, you can't even get to the emotional level because the cultural piece is there and the language piece is mm-hmm. there. So you, you're very, very, you're very uh, um, disciplined about how I'm going to communicate where I am because I understand right. it's very obvious people are different. I have to, <laughs> I have to communicate this in a certain way. You know, these words don't mean the same things. The phrases don't mean the same things. And so when you bring that back to the U.S. and you start having those business conversations here you carry that same thing with you walk into a room and it's how do they how are they receiving this message Mm -hmm. what do i need to do to my message to change it to make sure they understand what i'm thinking not so i can you know mind bend or get them to do what i want them to do but how do i I, i'm going to say something i want them to understand exactly what i mean how do i need to change how i'm saying it so that so they can understand it Mm -hmm. and uh, you know so that's that's a helpful piece and make it something that people i think most americans miss out on just because we don't have to travel. It's not because right. we're myopic or we're, you know, we're somehow don't love international travel and all the stuff people around the world would say. The truth is we don't need to. We're right. the world's greatest, you know, biggest economy. So we can we can become billionaires selling thumbtacks. We don't have to go to, <laughs> right. you know, to Taiwan to go do it. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Very nice. So tell us a little bit about some of the kinds of projects that you're involved in today. And I know you uh, you can't give us very specifics, but yeah. are, are there favorite industries or favorite kinds of projects that you're involved in? Yeah, I mean, I, I love um, probably the course of the last 10 years. I really love much more the corporate development than, than product and, and business development. So mm-hmm. uh, I like... I'm enjoying the roll-ups, not because of the financial aspect of it, but because back to the challenge, mm-hmm. it's tough to get it right. Um, but it's super rewarding when you do. So I'm, I, I really like looking for businesses that are better together than they're apart. Mm. You know, it's just and you know, what happens oftentimes is we think of businesses from a income statement or a balance sheet and cash flow mm-hmm. and versus looking at them as puzzle pieces that are going to snap together. And you know, just like it'd be logical for us to go out and say, hey, I want to build a great computer, so I'm going to go buy a monitor and buy a keyboard and buy, mm-hmm. buy a CPU. And, and those things all make sense coming together. It wouldn't make sense to build a computer by buying two monitors. Right? It just right. wouldn't make sense. So I'm really, I really enjoy that corporate development, um, hmm. both internationally and domestically. In many cases, the combination of those two. Bringing things together that um, when they come in, you can almost hear them snap. Like they, right. they go together the right way. And you think, oh, man. And to the point where a lot of people will say, I can't believe we didn't do something like this earlier. And that's a huge <laughs> win. you know. And so a lot of people are, they hate the integration and they just despise the pain and ang- you know the anguish of doing this stuff. But to me, I just, I, I love that. I love the challenge of getting it done right mm. and you know let the financial rewards come down the line, line years later it doesn't matter you got it together where the cultures are now fitting the mm. product development's working the right way I mean, everything about it is just is humming so to your question about the industries and the types it's across industries because right. we're building wow. we're building solution sets for the market that are a mix of many different many different pieces it would be you know it's 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 tesla as an example mm. being a aggregation of you know electric motors and battery technology and new new plastics and this type of stuff well, that's happening and what you'd say is that is that energy now that's plastics is it manufacturing is it automotive is it there's a lot of different things going on but take that same thing into you know into software and you're putting you're putting software with services with you know with cyber with whatever man i like that that aggregation the kind of the concert of all those pieces coming together i love it Again, I feel like that's kind of a contrarian view. You hear people all the time. There's another saying that we hear uh, an axiom all the time. 
stick with what you know, right? Uh, <laughs> and a lot of people would say, uh, in fact, I just heard this recently. I was at a, uh, a meeting and we had a fellow at the front of the room that has a lot of experience in the IT services space. Mm -hmm. And one of the things he said is that often entrepreneurs will uh, sell their business and they'll go off and try something else. And then they'll come back because of the familiarity with, well, I know the IT services space. And so they kind of come back to it. And so he was actually cautioning the people in the room against the idea of trying, yeah. trying a different business. Is what you're doing typical of private equity? Would, would a typical private equity firm be involved in multiple industries? Or is that something that's kind of unique to, to what you're doing? Yes and no. So private equity groups will will oftentimes be involved in different industries. Um, they um, sometimes go in kicking and screaming because they've learned something new, but because they're basing it on the economic value in the back end. We'll learn, you know, medical products mm -hmm. because we think this is going to be a, a, a good return for us. And then oftentimes they'll go and try to redo that medical products, medical products, medical products. Right. The challenge, though, is that filter of medical products removes the things we talked about earlier. What's the passion for the business? Are mm -hmm. you guys are you guys willing to roll your sleeves up and, and do something different every single time? Because there's not two companies in medical products that are the same. Mm -hmm. They're not managed the same way. They don't have the same challenges. They don't have the same financial issues, customer sets, geography, cost of capital. Everything's different. So you might have, again, had dog food and medical products might be closer operationally to manage than to medical products companies. Hmm, right. And so there's I guess more just how you view how do you view these things. And your your point about, you know, um, the gentleman talking about these entrepreneurs that go out and sell their companies and come back and try to do it again, most often, in my mind, they weren't entrepreneurs to begin with. Hmm. They were they were technologists running a small business, mm -hmm. right? That's, that's yeah. what they were. And they're, and so if I'm a, if I'm a guy that runs shoe stores and I sell my shoe store, I'm going to go back and run a shoe store. I mean, that's, that's what I was doing, but it was not an entrepreneur, right. you know, and, and, uh, <laughs> and I've got yeah. a, I've got a, maybe a higher bar or a harsher view on the term entrepreneur. And I, and I, I fell in love with it. There's a gentleman by the name of uh, Howard Stevenson from Harvard. Look the guy up, super smart, a lot smarter than me. Well, he was at Harvard, so right. Um, <laughs> I was at Chico State. Um, the uh, sure the fine, it is, fine oh, it's awesome, it's fantastic. Cost. I would, I mean, yeah, I'd never take that back. It's it's wonderful. But his definition of entrepreneurship was, you know, the pursuit of opportunity beyond resources controlled. Oh, yeah. yeah and well. so, you know, and, and far few people, or you know, the too 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 few people ever go after that approach of. I am going to go after something because it's the right thing to do, because I want to get this thing done, because I have to get it done, because I'm passionate about it. I don't know how I'm going to do it yet. I don't right. know how I'm going to find the money. I don't know where I'm going to find the technology. I don't know where my customer set's going to come from. I don't know those things, but I'm going to go do it. Most people, I've heard tons of people, I speak at universities all places, and people come up and realize, man, I really, really want to be an entrepreneur. I just, I want to make sure that you know, that financially I'm stable, right? right? And then, right. and then I can be an entrepreneur. Mm -hmm. I'm like, well, you're, that's, that's the exact opposite. Those, right. those, those don't go together, right? right? So, you know, that security is what keeps you from being that entrepreneur. That's mm -hmm. also why it's hard for, for guys to become, you know, we always hear that we see a serial entrepreneur. Was he really? <laughs> he was an entrepreneur the first time he made a lot of money and then he kept investing in businesses. I wouldn't necessarily right. say he's an entrepreneur. He's right. not out there. Again, there's no issue with the resources. He's got complete control over the resources <laughs> to get it done. Right. They just said, I'm going to go and rinse repeat. I'm yeah. just going to go keep and do the same thing over and over again. You know? And mm -hmm. so, you know, to me again, back, we talk about the greatest, you know, the greatest successes in this world have come from, people being challenged and people having to really stretch themselves to get there. And that's, it's, that's where everything great comes from. And that can't happen really over and over again inside your line of business because you, you know it now and you're, you're almost without being able to avoid it, dumbing yourself back down in the center of that bell curve. Hmm. Right. Yeah. So the first time you did it, you were making decisions because it was a necessity and hmm. I was able to risk things and go after and try things that are new. Why? Because I don't have a, I don't have a choice, and I got to make a decision today. I run out of money tomorrow. Might be the right decision. <laughs> I got money until the end of the month. Was the right. wrong decision? Eh, didn't work out so well. But as you go into your version two, three, four, and five, you know, and I and I'm I'm guilty of the same thing. You begin to move those things to the center of the bell curve, right? You're saying now, oh man, I know I can make it through the year if we only do this, right? right. I know I can do this, and you know, and that's that's okay. 
That's what 99% of 99.9% of the businesses out there operate that way, and it's fantastic. And they're lifestyle businesses, even if they're small, even if they're new, even if they're venture-backed, they're lifestyle businesses. People are using those things to pay their mortgage, which is fine. But those aren't the meaningful ones. Those aren't the ones that get you fired up, right? Those, you know, that's... That's again maybe what takes takes me or drives me into things that I don't know and don't right. understand. You know, let's go start a business in Bangladesh. You know, you go, <laughs> what business? I don't know. I have no idea. Let's just let's go to Bangladesh and let's figure this thing out. And uh, by the way, if you want to start a business in Bangladesh, I'm totally in. Man. You're let's in. Go do you're it. Yes, okay. I'm already you're in. Already yeah. <laughs> so I, I love I love what you're saying, and but at the same time, you know, there's people, and I count myself as group, you know, this predictability is comfortable, right? Uh, I sometimes joke with oh, yeah. people, you know, we had a fantastic year last year. And in, in 2019, Rocket IT had a bang out year. Awesome. And I've told my team, I've had bad years and I've had good years. And I like yeah. the good ones way better, <laughs> right? <laughs> uh, and so once you kind of figure out, okay, well, I'm good at this, or this is what worked, yeah. or uh, this is an industry that has produced a certain result, consistently over a long period of time, it's really hard to walk away from that comfort and that predictability and try something different. But I would agree with you that uh, when the occasional unpredicted uh, event occurs, uh, you do learn a lot in that. And maybe that maybe makes best stories too. (laughs) So speaking of which, I I would love to ask you and kind of surprise you with this question a little bit. What's your favorite whiff? I'm sure, I'm sure in the <laughs> adventures that you've had and the things that you've done, the business you've involved in, there was probably at least one that oh, you were excited yeah. about that, yeah. that didn't turn out uh, like you wanted, but you had fun anyway. Like it's it's become the story. Can you think of a, a project oh, like that man. you've been involved I could, in? I could, I could think of lots of them. Yeah, there's been, there's been lots of those. Some have not been so exciting and some fun, <laughs> but yeah. I mean, I think that the one that was probably most interesting was a the right phrase for this it was a medical tourism company in in thailand and you know we had really created a a a tremendous model to to move you know to move people from all over the country it was really focused on a number of countries and so canada uk france a lot of places who have have uh have a state-run or government-run uh, uh, medical system. Yeah, sure. So I'm 50 years old. My knee is complete crap right now. Mm-hmm. And they tell me, walk with a cane until you're 60, then I'll give you a, a, right. a replacement knee. So how do you get them to Thailand? And how do you uh, how do you get I that see. stuff done yeah. there cost-effectively? Yeah. yeah, I've heard of people yeah. doing that for sure. Yeah, and it was it was great. Running well, everything's, everything's it was fantastic. And I was, I was going to Thailand and checking the stuff out, and their hospitals are great, and the people are fantastic, and we're, you know, we're building it up the right way. And uh, then we just you know, realized, you know, maybe about a year and a half into it, that um, we didn't have any actually licenses to be practicing medicine. Oh, yeah. So, <laughs> so apparently, everything we were Is that doing important was important in Thailand. Ah, uh, apparently, it was it was important to the people who told us. Right. Yes. They they, they seemed pretty adamant that we needed to have license to operate, and it was just like, oh man. Wow. Okay, somebody should have checked on that. Whose job right. was that? Was that was it yours, Matt? I can't remember. You know. And, uh, but a really, really good business that I'm sure some some Thai entrepreneur now is owning and running. And so it's, that it's made fantastic. it into the roadmap for future businesses. Yeah, exactly. Okay, sure check, license to do check for licenses. <laughs> we apparently need to have licenses right. to own this operation. So awesome. But uh, but again, you look at it and you go, man, I lost money in that. <laughs> yeah, but I didn't lose time, right. and I didn't lose enjoyment, and I didn't lose. You know, I met tons of cool people, and well, lost money is always. Essentially, a, a, the co- it's the cost of education. Right? Yeah, yeah, it is. It's cost of education, and and you know, there's a lot more people who, over that same period of time, made a lot of money. But if you look back and they say, I basically, I I blinked, I closed my eyes mm-hmm. on January first, I opened my eyes on December thirty first, and I don't really, don't really know what happened. Right. Like it just that year went away. Huh. And if you want to suck the soul out of me, <laughs> it would be to have that happen. Right, and that definitely didn't happen you know, over that period of time, we're building up that company. So, you huh. know, I, I look at that and go, it's like being at Disneyland. Disneyland's also really expensive, but it's fun, yeah. right? You go there and right. you have a good time. Right. You, know, you go skiing in, in Jackson Hole. <laughs> it's really expensive and it's super fun. 
Right. And a lot of this stuff operates that way. I mean, as long as your eyes are wide open about, hey, listen, this is this is risky capital. We're going to go do this and build this business up. If, if it's a success, fantastic. If it's not, shame on us or good for us or whatever. It's just you, you just go out there and do it. And I think you're better off for it. And the business model is replicable. The business model will work. No one thought it would work beforehand. So, you know, we made some mistakes, some huge ones. But we're off and running and doing it, doing it again somewhere else. I love it. So one thing I want to make sure we touch on that folks that don't know you listening to this podcast might make the assumption, this guy's totally single, uh, <laughs> you know, traveling all over the world like this and being involved in all these businesses, but you're not, you're no. an amazing dad. And, uh, you've told me that you're a great spouse. Uh, oh, I'm right? a wonderful yes, spouse. Right. Yes. I'm tremendous. <laughs> yes. Uh, how do you, how do you balance that? Uh, because, I know, I know, I know yeah. you personally, and I know that your family is uh, is uh, the highest importance in your life. How do you, how do you make sure that you're doing a great job of managing uh, your relationships at home while you're also doing all these cool things around the world? Uh, I mean, first off, you, you can you never do it as well as you'd like, mm-hmm. right? and so there's many times I think I've if the times that you really know you screwed it up is when something happens at home, right? <laughs> right. Business, you kind of go, eh, right. you know, whatever. I'll, I'll take a vodka and soda, please. Thank you very much. You know, but <laughs> at, at, at home, you really got to focus on these things. But I think the, the, at the core of it really is you, I think it's, it's impossible for you to go out and get married, have kids, and then decide what you want to do with your life. Mm-hmm. And if that, if it's different than what you married into and right. what you've established, you know? And so my wife knew me in college, right? Mm. She knew who I was. I know who she was. And so, you know, the, what I loved about her was she was adventurous and she right. was, she's not like me. She's not insane, but she is completely <laughs> okay with everything that, right. you know, or I wouldn't be doing this. My life would be so different without her because, you know, she's, and I, and I could, you know, all, I couldn't imagine, you know, what my life would be like if I had to provide certain assurances and certain structures to, you know, to the home life that was, you know, that was not the way that I'm built to go do. And so I'm, you know, the most influential person in my life would be my wife because sure. it's influenced everything. But I've also come to the realization just like businesses and just like everything else is that it's that pressure. It's the Prado principle, 80, 20, right? Mm-hmm. And a lot of people focus on the 80 and not the 20. And so they'll say, Hey, listen, I, uh, but I'm with my kids all the time and I'm home every single night and I, right. I only work eight to five, but I went to work before they got up. I came home for dinner as they went to bed. I didn't see them. And when I saw them, I was talking about homework when I, you know, Mm -hmm. it's that type of thing. So you were 80, you were 80% of your effort, but you're only getting 20% of the the effect. And, um, I'm saying this like I'm some granddad, like I, like I know what's going on. I don't. But I've realized in my life, the times that my relationship with the kids were the best or with my wife were the best is when it was just that, that focus, that mm-hmm. 20, that four, right? Can yeah. I get to my, can I get to my 64% of effectiveness in 4%, right? Mm. Just focus, take them. Like we would, you know, we'd, we're, we're not big into like school and things. So, you know, we would say, listen, we could, we could, you know, be stressed and, and beat ourselves up, taking them to Disneyland over Christmas or we just take them out of school in the middle of the year right? when no one's there. And then we're going to have to run to the park and we're going to go, we're going to go skiing in the middle of the week. We're going to go, you know, yeah. to making sure that we are able to um, spend time with them that way, mm-hmm. you know? And so now two are like, I know your, yours are, yours are moving on as well. Oh, and they've yeah. gone. Yeah. Um, I've got uh, one or two of them in college and one still in high school right now. And, mm-hmm. and, you know, and I, I love the fact that, okay, great. It's Tuesday. I'm going to go ride my motorcycle to Illinois and right. just, you know, just <laughs> hang with my daughter for a couple of days. Right. Nice. And, and to me, the time that I have with her doing that as an example, is so much more than, you know, you've just, you, okay, well, I'm, we're, we're forced to be together X amount of times and whatnot. So I can travel the world, but as long as I keep really, really, they know I'm focusing on them the entire time mm-hmm. then things are going to go. Okay. That's awesome. I love, I love how you've done that. Uh, still adventuring. Uh, you mentioned motorcycle it. in Illinois. That sounds pretty adventurous. Yeah, uh, but are you, are you doing physical stuff these days? Uh, yeah, uh, yeah. What, what keeps what keeps your attention on the on the adventure side? Um, still, the things that I don't know if I could physically do. So, <laughs> yeah, um, uh, I still like about 
once a year I try to get to the the Rockies and go climb something there. Oh, or, nice. You know, and drag some some crazy friends of mine along with me, or right. you know, whatever whatever it might be. Just uh, you know, so skiing or anything else I can go I can go do is uh, just just something to keep my brain going. Nice. I, I, I do ride my I've got a I got an adventure bike that I'll ride for I think I've probably ridden. 15,000 miles this year oh, on really and, wow you know, yeah and, that's good uh, you know so <laughs> i mean and uh i figured out now which is fantastic matt you like this so i've got the whole setup right now where i can have eight hours of conference calls you know on my motorcycle no riding, way. and no one knows <laughs> no one knows i'm on my motorcycle and i yeah it's just it's it's wonderful yeah wow so yeah i like to yeah. see that setup yeah. on these it's great. yeah it's good <laughs> so cool. um, so that's 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 kind of freed me up to go to you uh, to go do what i want to do there's a um, there's a book. I think it's called The Motorcycle Investor, if I remember correctly. I'll have to dig it up. Yeah, and uh, we'll put it in the show notes yeah. too uh, after the show. I Great. His name is Bill Bill Rogers, but I'll have to look it up. Uh, it's written years ago now. Uh, but guy basically rode his bike around the world, and as he rode it across these different countries, he would yeah. talk about the uh, economics and uh, the investment potential in all these different motorcycles. Sort of reminded me. Yeah, of, I love of it. That. So we'll we'll yeah. put that in the show notes later. I understand you uh, also uh, spend a little bit of your time philanthropically or yeah. humanitarian causes. What's your yeah. favorite? Uh, you know, right now, uh, the last, say, I guess three years, 2020, yeah, three years, um, I've been been building a leadership program for the United Nations to help kind of streamline mm-hmm. the the cash influx into Africa and into Asia and some of the spots. And so oh, as we do. So yes. <laughs> <laughs> wow. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah. And same thing. Remember me being 25 turning around a software company? Yeah. I'm just <laughs> I'm just as ill equipped and you know in the wow. Yeah, you know, I, I don't have the capability set of doing it. But we're we're Building up the cap- the, uh, the the functional capabilities of these of these regions, these countries, these communities, whatnot, to take in cash and know what to do with it. Right? Oh, how do you great. how do you take this stuff in? How do you hire the right guys? How do you build teams? You know, and so it's so we're doing that so that you know the World Health Organization and the World Trade Organization and and uh, you know and the United Nations and others can effectively move money into these regions. Yeah, that's that great. Is, that is, that is wasting it. So it's actually getting it's actually getting used pretty well, and it's been it's been going well, and I'm enjoying it. So wow. Twenty six countries in Africa. And, wow. And uh, so spending a good amount of time over there. That as is well. fantastic. We well, yeah. you know you've heard about. I'm sure you'll remember the name of it. Uh, I don't off the top of my head, but the the billionaires Bill Gates and yeah. Warren Buffett and so forth getting yeah. together and pledging a lot of their assets yeah. for the benefit of yeah. humanity. Correct. And so our assumption is is that we're going to see a lot of parts of the world. Yeah. have an influx of cash and investment. So wonderful yeah. that we're spending some time making some investments that folks know what to do with that. Yeah, absolutely. Very cool. Yeah, it's good. It's been going well. So let's go move on to our lightning round. Okay. These are questions that we try and ask every uh, one of our uh, guests. Yeah. And so I'll jump right in here. Tell us about a, a person in your life yeah. that had a profound impact on your future. Um, man. Probably my college football co- or college uh, uh, track coach. Yeah. So Larry Burleson. Yeah. And he would just constantly just tell me not to be an idiot. <laughs> and, and you found that helpful. <laughs> yeah. At, at, at first, I thought it was just something he said. Then I realized over time that no, he really just wanted me to not be an idiot. You know. And, uh, and so it sounds crazy. You fast forward thirty years, you're going, just don't be an idiot. Jeff. Right. Just don't. Don't. <laughs> be an idiot so yeah it wasn't something grand he would say but yeah just just don't be an idiot oh yeah. my gosh yeah well i don't know i wonder if my next question is moot now because it's <laughs> what's the single most important lesson that you've learned is that it uh, you, uh it's probably like a, a, a you know a derivative of All that right. you know I, I think the most important lesson i've learned and this is i think that it hamstrings most people who are young and want to be getting business or run, you know, running their lives they're so panicked over making decisions and for me it's um, like habits are so much more important than the decisions you make. Mm, and, right. you know, so you can, you know, people panic over, do I go take this job or that job? Am I leave this job for that one? What's going to happen? What if I buy this house and I don't rent or whatever it might be? And the reality is none of those matter. Right. None of those are such small, you know, the biggest thing is what do you fill in your brain with? And, you know, um, how are you treating people around you? And, how are you going to react when things go wrong? And how are you going to react when things go right? right? These are 
those are far, far better indicators of what's going on in your life. And just ditch the whole issue of trying to be right with the decisions. You're going to be wrong. Right. You're, you're, you're not wise enough. Mm-hmm. So just make tons of decisions, you know, fall down, get up fast and just, and just keep right. going. And so again, that habits versus decisions, I think that habits will trump it every time. Just be, it. just be conscious of that. Awesome. So you mentioned filling your brain. Yeah. Uh, do you like to read? Uh, what, I do. do some podcasts. I do. Uh, how, how do you yeah. run? I do uh, everything. It depends on, you know, when you, I travel a lot. Yeah. And so, you know, so. so I, I, yeah. So I, I, I like, I like talking to humans. I really okay. do. I enjoy talking to humans and asking questions. And so I, wherever I can do that, I do it. Um, then for dead humans, I like to read their books. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Really? So, uh, yeah, cause they're harder to get information from otherwise. Yeah. <laughs> and so, uh, um, one of them has been dead for 2000 years. I, I, I'll read every year. I'll read meditations by Marcus Aurelius. Oh, I love it. Um, nice. it's not like the most exciting read and, you know, but it is, you just, you have to read it. And so you just got to go through it. You make your way through it and you end up, you think, okay, I'm better off for it. And, and the appreciation is wow. that you know, what's old is new. What's new is old. We're not going through anything today that right. guys didn't go through, you know, what, what's, you know, Cicero wrote and what Seneca wrote and what, or, you know, Marcus Aurelius wrote or what, whoever they're writing about the same stuff we're doing now. Yeah. Right? And they just had less distractions, which means they had more clarity and with mm-hmm. that clarity came wisdom. And so you, it's hard today you know, you have writers today to so many writers, which is good. We can mm-hmm. really push a lot sure. of information around there. But if you wrote a book, Matt, and it was about something that was good, then I, if I want to sell my book, mine needs to be more gooder, right? <laughs> so I've got to turn it up a notch, which means that I'm just adding noise and nonsense to it, mm. right? And so um, what happens is you're reading books now and you're really having to go through and go, is that really what I should do? Do I need to, you know, tap my head and rub my belly? I'm not exactly sure what all this stuff is. Right. And you go back and you read stuff from Socrates of these guys and you realize, yeah, that's pretty much it. Right? They, 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 knew, they knew how we should live our lives and what, you know, kind of the basis of success were. And they, they had their arms wrapped around that because they were still humans and they were, you know, they were thoughtful beings and they, mm-hmm. you know, they, they relied on asking the generations before them real questions. And we don't now. We're not, we're not good mm-hmm. at that. And so, so uh, uh, meditations by Marcus Aurelius is great. There's lots along the same lines, but that one's a good one for me. Okay, cool. Um, another one I love is uh, probably an old man's toy. Oh, by I Z, that. yeah, huh. that's a that's a good one. And it's it, it's a science book, but it's not. I mean, it's really it's a it's a it's a it's a well written book about yeah, it's about Einstein's relativity and you know general theory and the special theory of relativity and blah blah blah. But it's it's a really um, uh, interesting uh, for me at least. It's a there's so many parallels between all these you know these uh, science axioms and and theorems and whatnot and what we're doing and and so really? to me, I just see, I just see these, you know, these, these, uh, these parallels and similarities and whatnot and allows me to make better decisions about things that are going on here. Wow. Yeah. Very cool. You know, you're the second guest in a row that has uh, pointed back to biographies and, and older writings. You've gone back even further. 2000 years, pretty, pretty long <laughs> way. But uh, that's, that's really fascinating. Uh, very good. Good. How can people contact you if they want to learn more about you? Oh man. Uh, what's the best way to do that? Um, Email, yeah. My best well, email. I'll tell you. Yeah. I'll tell you what. Uh, <laughs> if somebody really wants to get in contact with you, they can yeah. contact us, and then we'll let you know. Fantastic, and so fantastic. I love to, love to help. Any, yeah, Sorry anybody. to put you on. This yeah, no, spot no worries. There. I've never even thought about that. Yeah. before. we we usually yeah. don't ask for a home phone number and all that stuff. So uh, no, don't worry about it at all. Yeah. Hey, listen, uh, Jeff, it's been great. On that note, I believe it's time to wrap things up. Jeff, for myself and our audience, thank you for joining us today. To our listeners, thank you for tuning in to the Rocket IT Business Podcast. Should you have any suggestions for future topics that you'd like to hear more about, email us at podcasts at rocketit.com. And finally, a quick plug for Rocket IT. We work with businesses, nonprofits, and municipalities in the areas of IT support, information security, and strategic planning. To learn more about Rocket IT and its services, simply visit rocketit.com. Thank you, Jeff. Thank you very much. Enjoyed it.